Welcome to Smart Businesses Do This, where we are joined today by the one and only Mr. Ron Lynch. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. Now, before I let him say the most amazing things that he's going to share with you, let me just take a minute because I think it's really important when you have a mentor come on a platform, I think it's really important that you actually take a moment to explain just how awesome they are. Uh, when I first met Ron, I was introduced to him as the man behind the, the launches or bringing to market the George Foreman grill, some of you may have heard of, GoPro video cameras, and so many more. I could literally just sit here and list all of them. What's fascinating to me about Ron is I knew I wanted to learn from him. And I was like, I will do whatever it takes. I flew my butt all the way up to Seattle to be an intern, to sit and listen to this guy about advertising, about creating the visual effects, proving what it takes and showing on camera. I mean, this is just someone that I learned from then and I still learn from today. So Ron, it's an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for you guys being here, appreciate it. So Ron is an expert at a lot of different things. What I love about Ron is he's continually evolving. He's constantly finding new things and, and staying ahead of the curve. He actually uh, introduced me to some cool new technologies. Ron, but before we get into it, um, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about you? How did you end up being who you are today? And, uh, and what was the journey? Yeah, I had kind of a serendipitous, what do they call it? Serendipitous. Serendipitous, serendipitous journey of here and uh, circuitous as well. <laughs> I, I worked in a grocery store um, and I worked my way up in the grocery store. As I was doing that, I desperately wanted out of that work. And I thought, oh, I, I really like movies and I'd like to be an actor. And a friend of mine got an audition for a film. I went and crashed the audition and I landed a role in this film that Robert Altman was directing. And Robert Altman was a, one of the top tier directors in Hollywood who made, you know, 30, 40 films and was a protege of Hitchcock. Um, and in that process, in, in, in a subsequent film that I was in, uh, I met uh, Jeff Bridges and I asked Jeff Bridges, well, you know, I'm like this bit actor. How do I get from my chair to your chair? How do I get to be an A-lister? He said, it's super easy. Um, make sure that your dad is Lloyd Bridges. <laughs> and so that wasn't going to happen. I said, well, do you have another option? He said, right. If you can write, you'll, um, you'll always have a a job in Hollywood. And so I started writing screenplays, which I did not want to do, but I could come up with a clever story, I thought. And I did, I did a couple of them and I was still working in the grocery store as my day job. And there was a gal in a local television show who used to come through my line and she came through one day and I said, Hey, Dana, I've written a couple screenplays. Do you know anybody in Hollywood? She goes, well, as a matter of fact, I do um, bring me your screenplays. So I went to Kinko's printed off the screenplays, kept them under my check stand and the express line. She came through a couple days later. I handed them to her. She said, how did you know to give these to me? Now, mind you, this was in Seattle, Washington. This was not in Los Angeles. Oh, I'm so sorry. That, uh, that alarm lets That's everyone know it's time to go to lunch. <laughs> Uh, so you guys, well, I want you to know how old I am. I grew up in an era where at noon in my neighborhood, that went off and it was called an air raid siren. <laughs> so we really had those when I was a kid every day at noon that went off. So it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, in Seattle. 
Okay, that's it. Sorry, okay. Rhonda. No, no problem. So, so she came through the, the line. I handed her the screenplay. She said, how did you know to ask me? And I said, I don't know what you mean. You're the only person I know working in television in Seattle. She said, well, my sister happens to be Kathleen Kennedy. And I said, oh, that's really cool. Who's Kathleen Kennedy? <laughs> this was pre-internet. Kathleen Kennedy is now the head of Lucasfilm. She was Steven Spielberg's producer and her husband, Frank Marshall, and her have produced pretty much everything in Hollywood. And so they called me and said, you, could, you did a good job. You can write. And I was about 22 years old. They asked me how I did it. Um, so I started writing screenplays. Um, still worked in the grocery business, and I actually worked my way up to be a director in the grocery business. So I was uh, running stores and doing store construction and brick and mortar, and I understood labor and P&Ls and all the things of business. And then I was renting space to a friend of mine who actually was doing the George Foreman Grill. That had launched, but, and we were shooting, they were shooting man-on-the-street testimonials. And so I got involved with his company and let him use some space in my grocery store, and I said, this looks a lot more fun than, I'm do than what I'm doing. And he introduced me to a guy named Sam Perlmutter, who produced all of Jean-Claude Van Damme's movies. And I parlayed one of the screenplays I'd written to him. And I quit my job a week before 9-11. 9-11 happened. The world stopped. And I had no job. And I had three kids. And the next week, I was directing infomercials. And I've been launching and directing infomercials and creating products and licensing things and creating technology and getting patents now for since then. What's that, 23 years? Now, something I, I just want to brag just for a second, because on the internet marketing world, it, it's very common for people to be like, oh, we did $400,000 in the launch. Or like, you know, we helped one of our companies make an extra 3.9 million last year, which I was like, wow, that's such a big number. If you could just to put it in context for everyone here, when we hear infomercials, we often think, oh my God, that terrible TV show that I watch late at night. But I know the effort that goes into them because it's essentially a video sales letter combined with a regular sales letter, combined with a website, combined with a salesperson, combined with a value ladder, combined with test. I mean, it's beefier than you guys can imagine. And you don't just make one. There's a 30 second spot, 60 second spot, five minute, 15 minute, 30 minute, hour long version. What kind of revenue was going through? So I have worked at companies where we've done $50 million just in media. So the sales were far greater than that media. I've worked in consumer goods companies where we got the volume of the sales up to 300 million. And then I've had these clients for, for instance, GoPro is a good example because GoPro is, um, I, I did, did the creative brief and our co company bought the media for that. Uh, that company went IPO to 3.6 billion. So hundreds of $600 million a year in revenue. Um, but those are infomercials that are 30 seconds long. I mean, there's a lot, like an eHarmony ad is an infomercial. It's got a 1-800 number in response. There's a lot of direct response on television that's short form. Um, but I, I think I stopped counting about six or seven years ago and I was about four and a half, five billion dollars in revenue and actual receipts, not company revenue, but things that had people who had clicked on my clicks called my 1-800 numbers. That's not company volume. That's our volume was about four and a half billion dollars then. So it's probably around six now, I'm guessing. Love it. And so what are you doing nowadays? What's, what, what, what's good and hot in the world of Ron Lynch? So um, I consult for a lot of companies. I do a lot of coaching. I, I, I teach what I've learned over the years in a, in a course called The Marketing Mercenary. But um, primarily, I'm an investor from an IP standpoint. So I'll, I'll join a company as they're forming and they need marketing skills and I'll trade part of that for equity, some for cash, and then I have companies that we've started that we own wholly. Um, 
so it's it's a little bit more Imagineer. I've moved hopefully more into the Walt Disney role um, and less into the advertiser role, but I still enjoy the heck out of advertising. I still make VSLs and do stuff that I love. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, I think for everybody here, you know, one of the things I know you're all about is making a company that people love. Mm -hmm. What what would you say is the key to developing that out? Like, what, what, There's a couple of people here I know, they're like solopreneurs. Some people are just starting on their journey. What, what do they need to do? Well, I think that, first of all, you have to understand what, why you're in business. I mean, why, what, did, what got you into the business in the first place? For, for most of you, what is it? Go for it, guys, raise your hand. Freedom. Freedom? Help people. Help people? I didn't hear anybody say money. No, no, I'm not saying that's the right answer. I mean, I like those answers. It's like freedom and helping people. I think that those are more value-centered, and we're getting to a world of that more often. Um, for years, I would ask, and the question would be, to make a lot of money, um, which means extracting money from an audience. And I don't really believe in that. I, I really believe in presenting a lot of value. So I think at the core of a great company is an entrepreneur who started it who wanted to solve a great problem. So if you write down, hey, what's, a, what's my biggest problem in the world? The thing that really aggravates me, that I wish I could solve that. Write that on a piece of paper in the corner and then write the problem your company solves. Do those match? If they don't, scratch the one off in the corner and quit worrying about it because you're not doing a damn thing about it. Let it go. Focus on the one that you're doing. If yours is in alignment with that, that's fantastic. But don't fill your head with stuff you can't do. Focus on the problem you're solving. Focus on the audience. Focus on the empathy for the audience. If you can create a company that's built on empathy for the customer that you're serving, you're going to have happy employees because you're all going to be serving the same thing instead of serving you. If you're built building a company served on your, you getting rich, guess what happens to all of your employees and the people you work with? They resent you nobody wants to work for you to get rich. They don't. They don't want to pour their lives into you getting rich. They want to pour their lives into something meaningful, as you do. So find a meaningful problem and pour yourself into the meaningful problem. I love that. Um, when somebody brings you on board to help develop out, you know, like the marketing for a company like GoPro or, or George Foreman or any of the other projects you work on, how do you go about it? Like, what, what's the process that you, you walk through? So, can I give you a real world example? I love that. Okay. So, um, first of all, I think like a child. Like, I have an inner six year old that, that kind of rules my head. So, what is this? It's a water bottle, right? Okay, there's a company that sells this water bottle. And they came to me two years ago, and they say, we've got a water bottle. And they shipped it to me. And they sent me four of these, and they had four different brand names. Why would you have four different brand names for a water bottle? Because this water bottle does something unique. It's got a really strong USP. This cartridge is flavored. It's got a flavor pouch in it. The company's called Circle. Put this in, regular tap water, which you can imagine now, a lot of uses for the gym, travel, TSA, you can think of a thousand ways to, but this comes in 55 flavors. All the Gatorade type flavors, all of the Starbucks coffee type flavors, all of the soda pop type flavors, all of the tea flavors, just coffee, endless flavors. So what do you think as inventors, they got hooked on? Water bottle or flavors? 
flavors. Four brands, because we didn't want to confuse all of our flavors, so we had coffee, tea, water, sports drinks, blah, blah, blah. How much money does it take to launch five brands at once? <laughs> Even if it's the same technology. <laughs> So uh, the six-year-old walked into the company and I said, oh, it's a water bottle. And he said, no, it's a flavor bottle. And they schooled me. And we got done and I said, no, it's a water bottle. Because what do we know that we all have to do that we don't do? Drink more water. And if I go into the flavor business, now I'm going to war with Gatorade, with Starbucks, with vitamin water, with tea. I'm going to war with all of the companies that are all focused on the distraction. And if I went to a higher level problem, a deeper problem that's closer to the actual human being, the company was worth about $50 million when they approached me. It's four young guys from Duke doing a great job. Company's called Circle. Somebody Google it. Y'all got computers in front of you making you work worthwhile. Somebody put in what? One, one person put in Circle Water, C I R K U L, and then somebody else Google what's the value of Circle Water? This will be an interesting answer. Who's got a Circle Water site up or a product? What do you got? I Google Circle Water. What's their tagline? Finally, water is your favorite beverage. Guess who came up with that? Now, someone tell me what the valuation is today based on, it was $50 million 24 months ago before we came up with that tagline. What's the valuation today? $1 billion. Have you ever heard of this company? You're going to pay attention to it now, aren't you? So the increase of 50 million to 1 billion is actually a mathematical algorithm that no one has ever been able to solve. Definitely not me off the top of my head. But that's a pretty bloody big increase. I mean, that is a lot of money that that's jumped up. Is that like 20X or something? Yeah, that's, that's a significant valuation increase. And what, so here's, you're a person who does a ton in business. When someone has something that's worth a lot of money, like let's say, let's just say personally you had $50 million. What do you think you would do with your money? Most people say, oh, I'd invest it. Would you invest 50 million? Say you came up with an idea that was worth $2 million in investment. You needed $2 million, but you had 50 million. Would you go to the bank and get $2 million out and do your idea? Right now, if you had a really good idea. It's like 50-50 split. Yeah, Half yeah like 50-50 split. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you as, a, as an investor why I would not do that. Here's why. If I took $2 million out of my bank account or out of investments, really, is what I would have to do, guess what I would have to do first? Pay taxes. So I'm going to pay a significant loss. I'm going to have to get $3 million out to get $2 million. And I'm going to hand a $1 million to the government. What do you think a guy like me or a guy like you wants to do long term? Run a company or launch a company? I'm a launcher. I don't want to one, I don't want to, I'm not going to have one more good idea. I'm going to have 20 more good ideas. I don't want to run any company for the rest of my life. I want to be off the org chart. So I'm going to find somebody who I know I want on the org chart and say, Hey, I got this idea. It's going to cost about $2 million, but let's just start with a hundred grand. If you're willing to put in a hundred grand, I'm going to give you all of my connections and my knowledge. You get the hundred grand to start it. And if it rolls, we'll get more money. If it fails, 
I'll go get $150,000 out of the bank, pay $50,000 in tax, and give you your 100 grand back. Because I don't want the money. I want the leader. So I find the best person possible. Now, who in this room has ever heard anybody say that's how to start a company? Never heard that before, have you? Now that you've heard it, you'll never unhear it, will you? That's how you start a company. You find the right people and get them emotionally invested in the idea, financially invested in the idea, test it out, give them a guarantee, give them a money back guarantee, because I can give them the money back guarantee, limit their risk, increase their reward, and step forward. Now you've got somebody enrolled so that as the thing starts to fly, you got a co-pilot that you can trust and you can go back and have coffee and pee. I love that the direct response market is still there. Like, and I'll give you your money back and I'll even pay the taxes on it. Like, that's great. But I, I love that. And, and guys, this resonates like so much with a lot of what I'm doing in terms of growing these companies. You know, to echo even further what Ron said, not, not that you need to go even further on it. If you have 50 million in the bank and you take out 2 million into an idea, which is actually 3 million, you're limited by how many ideas you can do. Every time you take out 3 million, your investments decrease, your earning potential decreases and you're capped on how many ideas. If every idea you launch is partnered with somebody else and it's them that's putting in the time and or the money, you have an unlimited amount of opportunity ahead of you. And that's the whole goal in life, as far as I'm concerned, is have unlimited opportunity. I don't wanna be capped by the amount of money I have. I use my money to further my own education. I use my money to walk into rooms I can't get into any other way than with money. But I do not put my money into any of my own deals, any of my own business growth uh, pieces. And I actually learned this from a filmmaker. Um, it was a guy uh, who was in, in LA and he's actually the guy that taught me camera work. Uh, and this was before I met Ron. And he had all these different film ideas. He also had like 11 million a year that he made. And I was like, okay, what portion of your money every year do you put into your films? He goes, nothing. I was like, what do you mean nothing? You make 11 million. And he goes, I don't put a single dollar into my own movies. And I was like, well, how can anyone trust you? If you never put your own money into a movie, why would anyone else trust you? He goes, they trust me because I've had a whole bunch of successes. He's like, but if I put my money into the deal, he goes, I get worried about spending. I'm like, do I spend it on this? Do I spend it on that? He's like, now I'm not thinking, how can we grow this? I'm thinking, how can I save money? The minute it's not my money, I don't care about where we spend it. And I do the big thing. I'm like, you know what would be cool? If we jumped off the cliff and everyone's like, that's going to cost a lot of money. He's like, we've got the budget for it because I'm not thinking, oh, that's coming out of my savings in Apple or that, you know, it, and it changes the dynamic. If you are truly good at what you do, it should not be your money. And it, your goal should be to help people get their money back. So I, I love that. Um, okay. I will occasionally spend my own money but it will be on testing. Mm -hmm. Like I will do market testing to one, to help me find the right person mm -hmm. to bring in or the right team of people to bring in and have some evidence. Cause if I have a really wacky idea, even I don't want to embarrass myself, I'll go test the idea out with five or $10,000 and then come back with the evidence of that's great or that was shit and walk away from it. Yeah, I love that. I think that's great. All right, so, so now hopefully you guys have got the idea, right? So we're thinking about what exactly is it that we're doing at the highest level. So it's not, you know, we've created this cool product, look at all the cool things. It's this is the deep need that the customer has and how we resolve it. 
once we've got that point down, um, I love that messaging by the way on Circle, that's beautiful. Um, what's the next phase? Okay, let's say, okay, I'm gonna make an infomercial. And I would argue infomercials are about to be more powerful now than ever before. Because once upon a time, infomercials occupied the parts of television no one used. Then we had this internet marketing age where you know, Netflix, YouTube, they didn't have ads. Now it's back. Ads are everywhere. There are entire TV channels again on Amazon that have ads again. You know, you get these 30 second spots turn up and it's like your, your program will resume in 30 seconds. Yeah. What, um, how does somebody go about building an infomercial? Well, first of all, they, a lot of people ask me, hey, do they still make them? It's like the industry actually has only grown. It's never gotten smaller. It's gotten bigger and bigger. It's just gotten more, it's moved more from individual producers, which is what I do part-time, to corporations. You know, it's the Whedon and Kennedys of the world that are, that are doing the, the work. But for an, any individual can do it. And you can test it out online. I think, um, and I test infomercials online. So there's a, there's a very simple process, which is creating a creative brief for what you're doing. So for all the, I mean, I can, we can just outline it right now. We can just bullet point. It's weird, none of you have pen or paper, but that's fine. That, again, defines my age. But in, in your, however you take notes, this is, this is we were of taking notes. And everyone that's here, you can write on the table, the pens in front of you, the mm -hmm. tables, the whiteboards, go for it. So you go, what do we do? Like just generally, this is the, this is what we do. We, this is what we think we do. And you're going to refine this as you go. Then you go, what is the problem? Two sentences. This is the problem in the world. What is our solution? Two sentences. Your solution cannot include your competitors and it can't include the problem. Your solution has to be your solution. We do this. Then the USP, what makes us unique? You need a unique selling proposition. You put that down, leave it blank for now. You don't know what it is yet. Just skip over it. The next thing you wanna do is list your features and your benefits in two vertical columns, features and benefits. The reason why is because you sell features mentally because you're the business owner, you're the inventor, but your clients and customers buy, feature, buy benefits. They don't buy features. So list all of your features, get your barf out, get it all out. We got this, we got this, we're better than our competitors because we got all this shit. List all that, do it. Then next to it, what is the benefit that that feature delivers? List of benefits. Every feature probably delivers two or three benefits actually and you'll have a list of benefits now go who needs what circle benefits like what are the top three or four benefits that are really needed because you're going to come up with a lot just come up with the top three or four because you can't speak to the whole ocean you're going to speak to a few people to start We'll get to the rest of it later in the business as it grows. Let's get our core audience. So who, what is that? Then you go to audience. Who are the three avatars that need those benefits? Then what order do they need them in? Because everybody needs those three or four benefits, but they need them in a different order, most likely. So now I've got my three benefits, the three audience members that I'm gonna to speak to. Now I can go back and do my USP. What I deliver is I deliver benefit one, benefit two, and benefit three. And I can prove it because I got feature one, feature two, feature three. You just sold your business. People are now enrolled. Now you ask questions of those avatars that will lead them to that benefit. Are you lacking blank, need blank, wish you could blank to the benefit? 
that that anchors them, sell them their first benefit. Well, if you think you need that, there's a new innovative way to get that benefit. It's, I'm gonna show it to you in a second. Tease the product without revealing it. Then will you hang on for two more seconds to get that? That's a close. That means I got a yes from them. Yes, I have the need. I want that benefit. Yes, I definitely am willing to listen to something innovative because I've tried everything else. Third, sure, I'll stick around. Then you repeat that process. That's what an infomercial is. And you go in the order of problem solution, reveal the innovation, then I want to hear some testimonials. Are you bullshitting me or did have people really tried this and does it really work? Then I want to see a couple of examples, a couple of demonstrations of yes, this works. Three or four demonstrations that demonstrate the features and then three or four testimonials of I got the benefit from those features and then an offer. And then you repeat that. And you go from first tier needs and benefits to second tier needs and benefits to third tier to fourth tier. That's the pattern of an infomercial. People say, why are they so repetitive? Because they're bought on random time. And when I'm changing channels at two in the morning, I, I don't know that I'm going to come on one. And it's, you know, I catch it in the middle. So I need the repetition. Does this work online? Absolutely. You just take the CTA, the offer, and you move it to the very end. That's called a VSL. A VSL is an infomercial. Most of them are terrible. They're just a person talking. It's an infomercial with the CTA at the end because a person's going to exit. And we gauge infomercials on television by when they exit. And they either exit to, to leave, I want to change the channel, or they opt in. They go to the 1-800 number or to the page. And that's a very measurable thing on TV. When you test online and you gain some success with that, you can take those fundamental things and you can put them on Roku or YouTube or Hulu. And you can go straight to television with that content now because the viewers used to seeing stuff that was shot on an iPhone. If you go back to the very first P90X, everybody remembers P90X? You know who the, all the testimonials and the content of the show? 100% of the show are the four founders of the company. The very first infomercial. Didn't even have customers. It was them shooting transformations of themselves with cell phones. Once they proved it out, then they got customers, then it became all consumer testimonials. If you remember those old P90X shows, they were not slick and glossy at all. It was shitty cell phone footage after shitty cell phone footage, which made great content. That's where we're back to, is can I believe who I'm, who's talking to me? This is why I love hanging out with this guy. So um, I think it's really important for everyone here. There's so much depth going on here. Raise your hand if your brain is firing off right now. Just good. Um, I, I love Ron. I've known Ron a really long time. I don't spend enough time with Ron because I live a little bit too far away. But um, every time he speaks, my brain fires off. I want to share with you guys some insights I gained just here. So uh, we own a game store downstairs. It's a Dungeons and Dragons shop. Everyone exit through the gift shop. Please pop into the Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> store just to see it. Um, but what, <laughs> what? It's like the basic of modern art. Exit through the gift shop. Yeah. Pick a few things up right your family while you're And a t-shirt. Right, exactly. And uh, we don't sell t-shirts, but we will. Um, but it's totally worth checking out just because it's a really cool store. But we use a lot of our marketing techniques to practice on the store. And because I always have Ron in the back of my head, one of the things that we did was we tested, I think we filmed 12 different ads, but we tested them 
on 20 different audiences in different ways in the area. And we did this for about six months. And at the end of the six months, it was clear there was one advert that beat all of them. And you'll never believe what one it was. We had one that was like, um, you're spending too much time ignoring your kids because you're so busy. Why not bring back family game night? We had another one that was like, tired of seeing your kids on electronics. Why not get them into something that's more education? We had, um, want to learn painting lessons? We'll teach you. We had, we'd like to give you free games. Come into our store. We did none of that work. The best one was, here's a map of how to find your local game store. That one by 80% better than anything else. So we ran this for a while. And then, cause I always have Ron in my head, an infomercial that works in one place works somewhere else. So our call to action is um, at the end of us showing you where the store is, we will give you a free gift, which, and we show them what it is. We're like, it's a free miniature. And we actually in the video show someone receiving it. Um, Ron, one of his big lessons is show, don't tell. So we show someone receiving a free miniature, but now that advert runs as the third ad that you see before any movie in our local movie theater. We bought up all of the spots for the third video beforehand. The idea being the last two are very expensive, the ones just before. The third one is like the most affordable, but still very, very early in. Like people arrive a few times. People come in the store all the time. I saw you in the local movie theater. I saw you, I know how to find it. So, but one of the things I'm thinking as I'm sitting here listening is we wanted to do billboards right. in the area as well. Billboards are about eight times more expensive than the movie theater. They're very expensive in this area specifically because we have a lot of freeways. And one of the games that I play, um, Ron didn't invent it, but I credit Ron with it, is whenever I'm traveling on a long distance journey with my students, I make them redesign the billboards as we go because most billboards suck. And then I started thinking about need, like customer need. When you're driving somewhere on a long distance journey, what do you need the most? Raise your hand if you think you know. Go for it. Bathrooms. Bathrooms, okay. Um, somebody else? Entertainment. Entertainment is what you need. And the number one form of entertainment that me and my fiance have found is we do fun facts. So as we're driving, I'll share fun facts with her as we go. But you know the one thing I've never seen on a billboard? is a QR code, ever. And it occurred to me that if I had a billboard, I actually wouldn't sell anything. I would put board on your drive, scan this code to get a bunch of fun facts about your health, um, your you know, social events, about fun places in the area or what have you. But it would be really simple. It wouldn't be selling my company. It would be about fulfilling their need, but via a QR code, which now I'm directing them straight to a website. I can collect their information and I am probably going to rack up more direct information that I would never have had this idea if I wasn't sitting next to Ron thinking about what would the biggest need be for somebody driving by a billboard by putting myself in the mind of them rather than thinking, how do I sell Dungeons and Dragons games? And instead thinking, how do I entertain local drivers? Um, and I probably have to put, don't scan this if you're the driver. Um, <laughs> and then the other, the other one that I had was, um, there was one statement Ron made, which was about most VSLs are boring because it's a single person talking to camera. One of the reasons we built this studio was because we realized that podcasts of two people talking on Zoom aren't as fun as people meeting in the flesh and it looking like a real event space. But it occurred to me that, but still our VSLs are still filmed one person talking to a camera. Uh, when I first met Ron, I had a theory for a VSL and I haven't done it since then. So that was eight years ago. Um, 
but we should absolutely do it. And the idea is you bring in your four best customers you've ever had in whatever the product is. And the VSL isn't a VSL, it's kind of like a talk show where you're talking to your four best customers about the product or service that you do, but they're not just sitting there talking about how great it is. What they're actually doing is talking about why that product is the best kind of solution. They don't even have to name your product. So for example, if we sit with P90X, imagine I've got my four biggest transformations, or three, you mentioned three, three customers, my three biggest transformations, and I just talk about the concept behind P90X of I don't need to go to a gym. And this is an entire show where we just talk about you don't need to go to a gym to get ripped. And I'm tapping into the big need that people have. I don't want to go to a gym. I don't want to lose time. And the whole show is about that. We're not selling P90X, but the customers, the past customers will naturally fit in. Well, this is why I like P90X so much. This is why I like that. This video would be organic. We would film over 45 minutes. I don't need to script it. And, and to echo probably the number one lesson I ever learned from this man that I do want to share with you guys because I don't know how to prompt him to get him to say it. Um, the lesson is if he had to scrap every single component of an infomercial and he was only allowed one element, just one thing, that element would be a testimonial. And that right there, I always have in my head. I try to start with a testimonial. I pack them with testimonials. I finish with a testimonial. And so, yeah, I, I would never have had these revelations. So, I, and I, I don't know what's going inside your guys' heads, but I would love you to, you know, echo even a fraction of what I get from hanging out with this guy by sharing what popped in my head with you guys and get you to rethink that in your business. So, anyway. So, I, I can rattle off advertising campaigns that are testimonial, testimonial campaigns that you've seen and experienced and probably didn't even realize that was a testimonial campaign. eHarmony, all of them are testimonials. Half of Geico's are. Some of them are just entertainment. Um, got milk. Billboards in, in print of famous people in different categories with a milk mustache from Freddie Munoz to Harrison Ford to Jar Jar Binks to Oprah Winfrey. They got everybody and they just picked demographics of people who admired them and asked the question, got milk. One of the powerful things about that campaign, and I want you to think about this, is what was the question? It wasn't, do you have milk or do you want milk? It was, got milk. The implication is if you don't have it, you need it, okay? So if I'm advertising for a pizza parlor, my opening line is not, do you love delicious pizza? Because the answer might be no, I'm asking a binary question. I'm gonna ask a non-binary question. I'm gonna, because we live in a binary world. If you eliminate the binary nature of the question to the, to the consumer, the other half of the question, the no, may not enter their mind. You move the 50 yard line to the 70 yard line, okay? So the question is, desire a delicious hot, piping hot pizza? The word desire is not heard as a question then. It's heard as a command. Desire. Want a mouth-watering pizza? If you put do you in front of your advertising questions, you've reduced your sales by 30% instantly. Get rid of those words. They're novice words and you, it's gonna be the best edit to shorten all of your copy. Talk to them in the first person, but talk to them in the first person like you would a person in a first person conversation.
We don't say, do you? I love that. Love Coke? Right? Yeah. Do you? We don't say, Adam, do you love Coca-Cola? Yeah. That's... We just don't do that. And if, go, love if, Coke? If you're not brave enough to do that because we're in Texas, you can just y'all as like yeah, a, an right? interim, a single, y'all love, no, I'm joking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, don't ever do that. Um, actually, um, Sing, but single image, think of these single, this testament, all of the GoPro was skier, surfer, diver, or, you know, someone on an ATV. They were all testimonials. They were all just the customer using the product. I, I love the got milk thing. There's one, one from England that you guys might like. Um, in, in the UK, fish and chips is, is like a meal that we eat quite a lot, but we specifically eat on Fridays. And we eat on Fridays because of an ad campaign that says it's Friday fish and chip night. And so everywhere in the UK, you know, Friday is fish and chip night. It's, it's just known that way. You eat fish and chips on a Friday. And we used to have trucks, like food trucks, that would drive around only on a Friday. You couldn't get fish and chips on a food truck any other day. But on a Friday, the fish and chip trucks came out and, and you didn't make dinner. You didn't even prep for dinner. There's no point. It's fish and chip night. We were going to go to a fish and chip restaurant because you can't prepare fish and chips at home easily unless you buy like the oven baked, like the good fish and chips. It's got to be cooked in batter that's been there for 7,000 years. It's the same batter. Yeah, exactly. It's served in a newspaper. It's served in a newspaper. Yeah, it has to be served in a newspaper because it soaks up the oil better. But I love that because the angle of the fish and chip restaurants wasn't to say, do you like fish and chips? It was like, it's fish and chip night. Like it's Friday, fish and chip night. Everyone knows that. So yeah, so I love that. And to, to think about for you guys, like, like especially like, I know we have uh, some plumbers in the room. So I think this might be interesting to you. What day of the week or what day of the month am I supposed to check my plumbing? Like, and make that a thing. Like, by the way, once, like, we know our air filters need changing every three months, but no one's told me when that is. <laughs> like, if someone said to me, you know, January, April, and they were like, this is the months you have to check your air filters, suddenly that would be easy for me to remember. Oh, oh, it's April, it's one of those air filter months. Yeah. And I would, I would buy my air filters more often and I would have less air conditioning bills to pay. So, um, <laughs> Just, I, I want to segue from that because you, you bring something up that, that, particularly for people who are in the home services, and I'm, I'm stealing this directly from Roy Williams from the Wizard Academy, is Roy has, a, has had a, a couple of successful campaigns over the years where uh, the, it's hard to have a USP when you're doing home services. How unique are you from the other plumber, from the other air conditioning person, from the other roofer? And Roy and I have, I have lots of arguments over this. And he's like, you know, he's not a big believer in USPs. And I'm like, I'm a huge believer because I like, but I'm in the innovation business. I've always been selling innovations. So home services is a commodity. So how do you get a USP around a commodity business? And so Roy was advising these guys, uh, his one company in particular, I think they're in South Carolina, they were giving away uh, flashlights, these really nice, small, high beam flashlights, but they put them in all the driver's trucks and they started to be known for the guys, as the guys who give you a light in the dark, because if the power goes out, you know, your, your HVAC goes out, your heat goes out, whatever, you need a flashlight. You need to check a fuse. So they were related to the, to the home services field. So pretty soon people are seeing these trucks at the gas station. They're like, hey, you're the guys with the flashlights. And they're like, yep. And they hand them a flashlight. Not their customer. Cheap lead. Okay. The, the important part of this leave behind is, you, and this is back to making, one of the things we said we were going to talk about is how to make a com your company sticky and more likable and more memorable, is give a leave, leave behind, and I owe John Rulin some credit who has the book Giftology, buy that book, um, 
is leave a leave behind that's not a placard for you. Mm -hmm. Give your customer a gift that doesn't say Bob's heating and air conditioning. Okay, give them a leave behind that is about them. I have a realty company that I helped and I don't do a whole lot of home services company. That one of the things that I taught them was realtors sell a house and then they tend to give a gift basket to the person who bought the house and it's waiting for them when they come in their new house. I said, that's great. Buy two more gift baskets and give it to the people that live on others, either side of them. It'll triple your bill in gift baskets, but your leads are going to go way up yeah. because you give them a gift, say, hey, you've got new neighbors. They wanted to extend it. So give the new neighbor the credit for the gift basket that you're giving them. So build a relationship between these two new neighbors on either side because it's awkward to meet your new neighbors. Give the new homeowner the credit for having given the gift basket. Guess what happens to your leads as a realtor? Actually, um, I want to finish that. One of my one of my favorite tips for for plumbers specifically, because because uh, I've worked with a lot of plumbers, is all of your clients offer to unclog their toilets for free. That will guarantee you're walking in their door constantly. And when you're in there, you just go around and let me just check the pressure. Let me just check everything else. And you don't sell anything. You're just like, hey, just so you know, that pressure might be an issue at some point. Feel free to call us if it is. And you're never selling. You're just pointing out this could be a problem. Because once it's in their head, they're like, oh, the pressure is annoying. I will pay to get it done. But that's my favorite service like that that brings you into their door constantly is going to have you repeat uh, repeat billing over and over again. Ron, if people want to learn from you, if they want to you know, do your marketing mercenary course or what have you, where's the best place to find Ron Lynch? Um, you can Google me at Ron Lynch Marketing and then that, uh, Google will pop up about the course or Marketing Mercenary. If you want to direct, directly read books that I've written or content that I write um, or blogs that I write, RonnieLynch.com, R-O-N-N-Y-L-Y-N-C-H.com. Um, I have a blog page there, sign up, and you'll get probably some weird book, probably on survivalism and a list to have around your house when the, when the, the near end comes. Or I have a couple of weird books that I give out for free that just start autoresponders. So you'll get in contact with me. Also, my book, Buy Now, is on there. And that's kind of our history of the infomercial business. But the second half of that book is an extremely instructional breakdown of what I began to teach you of, of a creative brief. And that the, the soup and nuts is in that. I don't make anything money off the book, um, but I just want you guys to have good information and grow your businesses. Really good book. I've read it. Thank you ever so much. And thank you once again for listening to Smart Businesses Do This. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.